Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Film and Water Podcast, part of the Fire and Water family of podcasts. I'm your host, Rob Kelly. And with this episode, we are beginning our countdown to Star Wars The Force Awakens. And what does that mean? Well, basically it means for the next three weeks, we will be talking about each of the original trilogy, one film at a time. Uh, Normally, I would not devote so much of the show to just one film franchise, but there will literally never be another experience like Star Wars The Force Awakens in less than a month from now. So I thought it was a, a worthy endeavor to you know, do a deep dive. And so for this week, we will be talking about Star Wars. Next week, Empire Strikes Back. Then, of course, Return of the Jedi to be followed by The Force Awakens. And with me here to talk about Star Wars, the original Star Wars A New Hope, is a longtime nuclear sub, but first time appeared on first time appearance here on the Film and Water podcast. Mike Bailey, Mike, thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you for uh, for leading with strength. <laughs> it's all downhill from here. Actually, we we hit a yeah. Next week we'll hit a real valley and then we'll rise back up. But yeah, I was about to say you you sandwiched that you know brilliantly, and I'm I'm glad that you know for the best of the films. You don't have like the strongest co-host, <laughs> so because then then it would be unbalanced. That's so. true. You don't want ba- You wouldn't need that balance in the force. Uh, <laughs> now I have to ask. Oh, my cat just attacked my microphone. Um, I have to ask. When I reached out to everybody and said who would like to come on and talk about Star Wars and Empire and Jedi, Mike, you jumped in very quickly and said, "Oh, I want to talk about Star Wars." Now that surprised me a little because of all the interactions you and I have had over the couple of years we've known each other now i don't think i've i don't think i've ever heard you talk about star wars in anything other than like a passing reference i mean you know superman sure crisis sure you know the all-star squadron sure but i i didn't i didn't picture you as someone who was like a mega star wars fan and yet you were like right out of the gate so uh there is no point of course in discussing the plot of this film <laughs> there isn't any, there's no one who doesn't know even people who have never seen the film knows the plot so we're really just kind of going to talk about the influence of the film what we still think about it all these years later and and how it's changed our lives so mike are you and how are you a giant star wars fan uh i grew up with the films i mean i i was born in 76 so uh and and i, and I have pegged it down that they actually started filming in march of 1976 right so really and since i was born on february 29th there isn't a month I have been on Earth where Star Wars hasn't been somewhere. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I was, you know, it, it's hard to be a kid born in the 70s and early 80s, I would say, that, you know, Star Wars didn't somehow touch your life. Because, you know, in the back in the 90s, Star Wars was a geeky thing to be into. But when we were kids, it was ubiquitous. I mean, it was everywhere. Yep. Everyone liked Star Wars. And in the Christmas of 82, I had the first of my two Star Wars Christmases and uh, getting toys and such. And finally, this is the weird thing, is that I don't remember the first time I saw the film, but I remember one of the first times I saw Star Wars because we were living in this rented house in Mountaintop, Pennsylvania. And we had HBO. We had HBO for as long as I freaking remember. Um, And... It came on one day, and I remember I was standing by the door, and I look over just as Luke looks at the twin sons, mm-hmm. and I was just transfixed. Like, I, I knew what had happened because of, you know, books on tape and R2-D2 telling you when to turn the page because he's a dictator. Um, 
you're not going to control how I follow this R2-D2 uh, <laughs> and all that. But it's just, you know, it was just one of those things where I loved the movies. I played with the toys. And then when they did the re-releases, I was really into them. When they did the prequels, I went to all of those. I've read a bunch of the EU books and all that. And knowing other people that are into it more, I, I you know, I, I don't always, I don't say, like, I am a fan of Star Wars like I'm a fan of Superman, where I feel like, you know, I've dug deep into that character, probably, you know, I've looked into the abyss and the the abyss looks back with Superman. <laughs> but with Star Wars, it's just one of those things that it's like an old friend. Like, every once in a while, I go and catch up with it and watch all the movies and, you know, read some of the books and stuff and uh, all that. And, and I really haven't done much podcasting outside of a, uh, an episode I did last year on Views, uh, and some stuff I got on views that should be coming around out around the same time this one. I just haven't podcasted much about it because I know people who know so much more than I do, and I mm-hmm. feel intimidated. <laughs> I can understand that. Yeah, I, I was a little – after I hatched this idea, I was like, do I have anything new to say about these movies? And I probably don't, but that's why I'm relying on my guests uh, to, to bring something new. I mean, yeah, I, much like you, if you look through uh, my family albums – you will see the impact of Star Wars in real time because, you know, any photo of me in a family album where I'm engaged in anything relating to toys or reading, it's superheroes, superheroes, superheroes. And then every photo post May 1977, it's Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars. I mean, there's literally two pictures of me. I've run them on the, sh- on the, the shrine of my sixth birthday and I have a super friends uh, cake topper and like plates and everything else. And that's it. And then there's a seventh birthday. It's in the same setting. We're all in the same places. Now, I still have all the Super Friends stuff, except I have a TIE fighter to my left, and I'm wearing a Darth Vader T-shirt. And <laughs> it just – superheroes never dimmed for me. They just got – they just had to start sharing some space, no pun intended, with Star Wars because it just – like you, it just – I saw it in the theater when I was six, and it just exploded in my brain, and it has never left. And as something we've talked about on Fire and Water – when we've covered Force Awakens is, you know, after the prequels and all the other stuff, like Star Wars kind of just dimmed for me. And I kind of was like, okay, other than the movies and the Marvel comics, Star Wars is sort of dead to me. Like that's, that's the Star Wars I like the rest of the Star Wars. I don't care about. I'm just whatever. And then the minute they announced the new films, it just reignited in me. And I had no idea it would have, I really thought I would just kind of go like, Oh, okay, great. But I just all of a sudden got super into it. And I've been, I just finished reading um, that book, How Star Wars Conquered the Universe, which was an amazing book, really, really interesting. And I've been deep diving on Star Wars podcasts. And it, it, like I said, I, it was like, the only thing I can compare it to is like in that JLA 200 where the, the hypnotic suggestion is put in the JLAers to, to go off 20 years later when the Pelax aliens need them to round up the, the seed pods. And it was, it was like that. It was all of a sudden, it was like all I needed to hear was that Han Solo was coming back. And I was like, oh, boom, I'm back in. <laughs> I, I, all right, man, strap me in. I'm ready to go. You know, uh, it, it was just sort of amazing. And it, it is hard to explain to people who are not into Star Wars, like how much it figures into your consciousness once it gets its hooks in you. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm going to divert us one quick second. Do you happen to have Hulu Plus by any chance? I do. Okay, check out Plastic Galaxy. Oh, I've it seen is, it. The documentary okay, about good. the Star Wars toys, yes. Yes. Okay, because I was about to say, for someone who grew up, you know, like I came in late 
because of 82, but you being there at like ground zero when all the toys <laughs> were coming out, I'm sure that was just like a treat. I, I, I'm trying to think of, you know, what I, what I must have done to my parents. I, they probably just gave me the money and I bought what figures I need because I'm sure they had no idea what the hell I needed. You know, what <laughs> what the hell is an Ugganaut? What is this kid talking about? Here, here's $10. Just buy what you need. That's fine. <laughs> yes. That first year, I got like a bunch of random stuff. The, the next Christmas, uh, I was a little more organized with my uh, Sears Wish Book selections. <laughs> Um, you know, telling them this is what I want because my first vehicle was actually the rebel troop transport. Very nice. That's a fun toy. Uh, and, but it never was the rebel troop transport. It was the millennium Falcon. Ooh. Until I got a millennium Falcon. So wow. the millennium Falcon is probably the greatest toy ever made. It is. It really would argue. Is. And, and in my memory, it's the size of like a coffee table. Yeah. And I know that's not the case. But it's just like, it's almost like I'm sitting in it playing with it. Oh, uh, yeah. And I know that's not, again, I know that's not the case. But, you know, you, you had the cockpit and then you pop the back off and you had them sitting around and playing a little chess game. Yep, I mean, it was yep, just, yep. oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> now, did you, since you came to Star Wars at 82, did you see Empire first or did you see Star Wars first? I saw Star Wars Jedi Empire. That's it. Wow. That's interesting. And, uh, I knew what happened in Empire, thanks to R2-D2 telling me to, when to turn the page, because, you know, <laughs> I think we've established R2-D2 is a jerk. Um, and So I knew everything going into Return of the Jedi that I needed to know, but it was just like I saw Star Wars on HBO. It's the first time I remember seeing it. And then we we saw Jedi in the theater, and then like a year or two later, Empire finally came to HBO, and... Uh, <laughs> Told this story before. I, I I have this vivid memory of finishing the film, and you know how it has that beautiful orchestration right there at the end, where Luke and Leia and the droids are all watching the Millennium Falcon fly off, and then it kicks right into the main Star Wars theme. Sure. I was sitting on the floor. I jumped up and I ran over to the couch and I flipped onto the couch, and my mom wigged out on me. She started screaming at me to never do that again because I'm going to break my neck. You know, you're going to hurt yourself. Don't ever do that again. And it just, it was like this moment where I've just seen one of the most amazing things I'm ever going to see in my life tempered with getting yelled at by one of your parents. Right. So, <laughs> A very mom-like thing to say. You're going to break yeah. your neck. <laughs> so, but, you know... I, I, you know, I say she yelled at me. They were the one that bought me all the toys. So the, yep. my parents were fantastic enablers yeah. uh, through anything I was into. So I, I, I will not complain about her beyond that. So. Yeah, I, one of the things that I, I just watched Star Wars again actually today. And, uh, you know, like I said, I never get tired of it. And one of the things that, that I... I don't know. I always knew this intellectually, obviously, but again, when reading the book Star Wars, how Star Wars conquered the universe, I didn't have a full appreciation for it, is that, you know, the the movie business was, you know, in the 70s, a lot of people consider that a, a, a new golden age in terms of the films that were produced and how the studio system had broken down and they, you know, the old studios had realized, we don't know what we're doing anymore. We, we don't know how to market our films to these hippies and all these people. So here... Here, Martin Scorsese. Here, Francis Ford Coppola. Here, Steven Spielberg. Just make your movie, and hopefully it'll turn out okay. And you end up with that. You end up with Taxi Driver and The Godfather and, you know, Jaws and all these amazing 
things. And Star Wars tends to get, you know, pilloried a little as like, well, Star Wars was the end of all that. Because after that, it just became all about blockbusters and all that kind of stuff. And there is some truth to that, except for the fact that, you know, when George Lucas made Star Wars, it was relentlessly upbeat, relentlessly cheery, relentlessly simple in its view of good and evil at a time where that was not in fashion. No, uh, and so, all. if anything, Star Wars is just as much of a personal statement of George Lucas's as Taxi Driver is of Martin Scorsese and The Godfather is. It, it's just that's who Lucas was. And maybe he still is. I have no idea. But, you know, no one believed in Star Wars. Nobody except for a couple of guys at 20th Century Fox. And particularly, there's one studio executive named Charlie Lippincott who went to Comic-Cons and, you know, brought stuff. And at a time where people were like, well, my God, this big executive is coming to a Comic-Con? That's crazy. But he believed in it. <laughs> he believed in it. And, you know, again, movie studio executives are easy to make fun of because, oh, they're all hacks. They're all whatever. But this guy was a, like your the best possible scenario for a movie executive. Mm -hmm. He saw Lucas's movie. He believed in this guy. And he was like, this, no, 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 this is a good movie. Trust me. You're going to want to do something with this. And, of course, he was proven right times 40 bedillion. Uh, yeah. You know. Him and Alan Ladd Jr. Alan, uh, right. That's the other guy. Alan Ladd Jr. You're right. Yeah. Really, you know, fought for the film and had to fight for George Lucas to get the film uh, to get the film made. I mean, there was a point where they told Alan Ladd Jr., by the time we have this meeting next week, that film's got to be done. <laughs> and it was like this breakneck speed, uh, you know, like there was like five production units going on at the same time or something like that. You know, you had George racing between things, but then you had like Ben Burt filming uh, or Gary Kurtz like filming R2-D2's leg going down. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's kind of, the other thing I, I don't think Star Wars gets enough credit for these days. Uh, and I'm talking beyond special effects, just how much of an influence that was to how we view science fiction movies. Mm -hmm. You know, there were a lot of things that came in after Star Wars that tried to mirror the look. Uh, they could never get the feel. Uh, very rarely could they get the feel. Uh, you know, I think, I, I, I think some projects, I mean, Battlestar Galactica was obviously a huge ripoff of Star Wars, but it managed to have a premise that kind of made it hold on its own. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. You know, uh, you know, yeah, they had the space battles, but you saw the same space battle over and over again because it was television and not a movie. <laughs> so. uh, but no, it's just, it's just so amazing to think that this one film that no one believed in, even to a certain extent George Lucas, uh, by the end of it, because... <laughs> We all look at this as like, it's the greatest thing ever. It must have been great to make this. And it almost yeah, No, yeah. <laughs> so, There's a reason but, why he didn't direct the second one or the third one. But you, you, you think about it that before, before May 1977, uh, and really for different people, you have to say like June or July because the film did not have a real, you know, films did not get released like they do today back in the 70s. Uh, and even in the 80s, it was usually different markets got the film first. Right, so right. It's, it's not like, you know, when The Force Awakens comes out, it's coming out all over the United States, 7 o'clock, Thursday before, which I, you know, I, I appreciate, but it kind of takes away the specialness of opening day. Or even <laughs> uh, but for, 
for guys like us that are getting older, a friend of mine pointed this out to me. That's actually a good thing because then you don't have to do the midnight showing. Yep. Oh, I love so. the 7 p.m. showing. <laughs> but, you know, before that, it it was just this little, like, what the hell is this almost? And then it becomes popular. And then it's easy then to say, oh, it was going to be big from the beginning. No one knew. Yep. Nope. No one knew that this was going to be not only a blockbuster film, but a cultural phenomenon. Uh, and it's just, th- that's why I'm recommending uh, Plastic Galaxy to anybody who has Hulu Plus, or if you want to pay for it, you can go to iTunes and stuff. Because it kind of shows how the toys hit. And since the toy, you know, the toys were by far not the only merchandising for Star Wars, because, man, if, if it was... It's like adult toys, you know, let's, you know, slap a Star Wars logo on it. Maybe we'll sell a few more units, but, you know, bed sheets and T-shirts and, you know, and this all came later. It wasn't there in May, but it's just, you know, everything that we think of in terms of what merchandising for a film and all that, it all comes from this little science fiction film that they didn't even know was going to succeed. And that is one of the things about Star Wars that will always get me is that it is an underdog film on a number of levels. It, you know, no one believed in it, but a few people, it turns out to be a big thing and it becomes something that is part of our lives. Uh, you know, my friend Scott Riefen does a great show called growing up star Wars, where he interviews people, you know, different people like David Michelinie who wrote the comic or Steven Sansweet, you know, who has like the largest star Wars collection and runs a uh, rancho. Obi-Wan. <laughs> Yeah. Lucky bastard. <laughs> or, uh, you know, like my buddies Tom Panarese and, and Steve Glosson. And, and you hear everybody has a different story, but it affected everybody, you know? And that's that's why I love it so much now as an adult is because I am old enough to appreciate all of that. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really is very hard to, to, to measure the cultural phenomena. And I still think no matter, even after the 40 billion words that have been written about Star Wars, its impact on filmmaking and, and how filmmaking changed both in front of the camera and behind the camera is still, to me, kind of underdeveloped. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it really did have, a, and in many ways, a, a, you know, a bad way, but and also a good way because it really did, I mean, at a certain point, films can only get so grim in terms of the main protagonist being killed or whatever, or just everybody being in misery. And George Lucas was a pivot to that saying, no, no, no. Sometimes evil is, is pretty straightforward. And this is the good, this is the evil. And these are the people to root for. These are the people to hiss for, hiss at. And, you know, again, when I watch it again today, it's just, the thing is two hours long and it just moves like lightning. And I don't mean that it Mm -hmm. goes too fast. It just, it never feels like two hours. I mean, it's just, from the you know the opening crawl, which is again one of the greatest openings of any film that's ever been done. Uh, I mean the introduction to Darth Vader, which is just again one of the great all-time movie screen villains. Uh, and then you know we go, then we go to Tatooine, and then the Cantina scene, which by itself is like a whole other movie. Just that the fun of the Cantina scene, Han Solo, then the fight of the Death Star, and then the de- and then the, the trench attack. I mean, it's just there just is not any part of this movie. That flags or, or or lags behind, or you're part where you're like, ah, this part isn't as great to get to this other part. It's just one thing after the other of sort of relentless invention. That it's like I said, it, I, I I am running out of. Th- I don't have anything else to say about it because it's again, it's it's 
it's remarkable knowing how many things can go wrong with a film, uh, and we all know how how things can go wrong in a Star Wars film, in particular. It's amazing how much of this went right. Yeah, it, it's also amazing that even the slow parts are visually interesting. I mean, we we start with the blockade attack, and still, like you said, one of the best openings in film history. Because, you know, the one ship goes by, and then the other ship goes by. And yeah, they made fun of that a little bit in Spaceballs. <laughs> but it doesn't change the fact that it's amazing. Because you have that relentlessly driving music. And, 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 and we'll, we'll probably get to the score in a minute. But once you get through that initial action piece, where you, you know, if, if walking into this film, you don't know who any of these people are. Mm-hmm. You know that the guys in the white helmets are the bad guys, but it's almost like instinctually you know they're the bad guys because they look like bad guys. Yeah, they get those mean faces. Yeah. And then Darth Vader, and he chokes the guy out, and he confront and R2-D2 and C-3PO escape. And then you go through what is ostensibly the slowest part of the film is them getting to Luke Skywalker. But even then, they get picked up by the Jawas, and you have this whole, like... You know, it's like junk dealer in space, you know, where, where they get picked up and you have their reunion. And then once we hit Luke Skywalker, the film doesn't stop. Yep. Film just keeps going and going. And we get his, you know, his little, you know, people accuse him of being whiny. And to be fair, he is whining, <laughs> but he's 17. So, you know, he really wants those power converters. I mean, what do you want? <laughs> hey, look. I think all of us can relate to wanting to go to Tashi Station to pick up some power converters. That's right. Instead of having to do chores around the house. That's right. <laughs> uh, whether Tashi Station be a comic book shop or the bookstore or the record store or go to see a movie, you know. And I think that's another thing is that there, because he, you know, Lucas used, you know, the hero of a thousand faces, and Lucas wrote in so many relatable things that you feel for these characters, which is where the original trilogy, I think, excels, is that because, like like in Jaws, where the shark doesn't work, so we've got to focus on Quinn and Brody and uh, Richard Dreyfuss's character. Hooper. Hooper. You know, you like the film because you like them. You yep. like this film because you like the characters, and you feel for Luke, and... You know, he goes and meets the old crazy guy, you know, that, that lives out in the boonies. Who lies to him relentlessly. <laughs> Which Yoda kind of tries to take the, the edge off in the novelization of Jedi, but still. Um, but, you know, once we get to Mos Eisley Spaceport, you know, because you will never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. Right. And you must be cautious here. You know, we're introduced to Han Solo. So we've got two heroes that we can look up to for different reasons. Luke's the guy we are. Han's the guy everybody wants to be. <laughs> That's how I've always viewed those two characters. <laughs> That's true. I never really thought of it that way. But yeah, you're right. I mean, he is he is ultra cool from the moment, from, from the jump. And this is why when, you know, like I see t-shirts that say Han shot first. I want to strangle that person. Because Han didn't shoot first. Han shot only. <laughs> Before Greedo could get a shot off, he blew the guy away. And and I always liked that. Even as a little kid, I'm like, God, this guy's a badass. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. look at him. I mean, he's he's got to get out of this situation. He doesn't have a problem shooting you dead. 
and he's got the coolest vehicle. I mean, Han's the guy that really you should hate because, because not only is he relentlessly cool, not only is he a snappy dresser, not only does he have a punchy pro style, but he is, in my experience, the <laughs> good fastest good. typist I've ever seen. Very oh, wait, nice. Movie. Okay. Uh, it's just all your, all your interests are crashing down on top of each other. <laughs> but, you know, and then we get into, like, the stuff with the lightsabers, and you're right, it doesn't stop. Even when you have quiet scenes, Vader's choking a dude out. I mean, <laughs> there is nothing about this film that I don't like. I mean, this is one of the few films that I can actually sit down. I can't say that about Superman the movie, but this is the one film where I will sit down and watch it, and I will not get bored for a single second while watching the film. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it is just, everything about it is fantastic. And even even though the fight scene between uh, Darth Vader and Ben Kenobi is a little stiff, I mean, I always look at it that when I was a kid, I didn't know that. So it kind of gets grandfathered in mm-hmm. to being awesome. But I don't think you can get much better than the trench run and the mm-hmm. attack on the Death Star and all those X-Wings going out. And, you know, you see all these different people. It's just like so much of the backstory gets filled in your own head while you're watching it that you don't need George Lucas to explain it to you. That's funny that you, I was literally thinking that. And I'm so glad you mentioned that because one of the things I and I still remember this quite vividly as a kid of. One of the, one of the many things that entranced me about the movie, uh, in between the you know massive yaw of time between films, because when you're a kid, three years is a friggin' eternity, was so many unanswered questions in the first film that Lucas f- felt as though the audience did not need to know about just yet. I mean, mm-hmm. in the very first scene of Darth Vader, where he says, "There's going no one to stop us this time," I remember being a kid going, "Wait a minute, what is he talking about? What this time?" What is he talking about? And that that just led my imagination on such a you know on on, on such a tear because I was like, oh, I'm f- there's all these adventures I haven't seen of these people, and that just was such an integral part of it to me that and the fact that Lucas felt confident enough to say, you don't need to know that these people have existed before this film, but that's okay. You just concentrate on this story. That is an essential part of the Star Wars mystery to me. Is it was just that it had all those little things thrown in uh, that you know he just felt like I don't need to explain it. You know, I, it's you just just accept the fact that these people have met before and let's move on with the story I'm telling. Yeah, you you don't need to know, you know, what the Force is. You just know that it's powerful and that Darth Vader is a bad guy. Yep. And that's the thing is I cannot I cannot get out of my head. You know, no matter what they do with the character, no matter what they did with the character in Return of the Jedi, you know, Darth Vader is always going to be a villain to me. You know, and and I can I can feel bad for him and I can feel bad for his fall. But to me, he is always that guy that walks on to the ship at the very beginning of Star Wars and just by the the, the very nature of his being you know this is the guy to be scared of oh yeah and that was proven to me by years ago uh, i worked for home depot and the guy in the paint department was considerably older than me and but he would tell me about because he lived in california up until like the mid 90s so he told me about things about growing up in la and stuff like that and for one for some reason one day we started talking about star wars and i think it was because um episode three was about to come out 
And he's just like, oh, man, I remember seeing the lines at Grauman's Chinese Theater. And I, and I took my kid to see it. And, and he starts acting out the first part of the film. <laughs> and he's like, and then Darth Vader comes up. And you know he's bad. And everybody knows he's bad. And I'm just like, see, it's generally accepted. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is a guy that likes films, but he is not a geek like I am. You know, right. he, he, he doesn't look down on it. But he's not somebody who is going to, you know, know the difference between a Y-wing and an X-wing and a B-wing and an A-wing. <laughs> right, you right, know, right. They're just, just the ships. Know right, they're just the ships. Uh, but even he saw, and that was my cue that, hey, this he was really the bad guy for years and years and years. And I think it's, that's why this is this is the most... It is not, in my opinion, the best Star Wars film, because I, I think Empire is, uh, but I think it is really the most pure because it is the one that stands completely on its own. Yes. All of the others require something else. Yes. And whether that is something happening after the film or it leads into the next film, this is the one that has a definitive beginning, middle, and an end. Yep. We follow these characters. They've won. And they got to have a big party at the end where everyone was standing around and Chewie didn't get a medal, you know, which drives me crazy. <laughs> but, you know, you can watch Star Wars, and I'm, and I'm thankful that we've had, you know, additional Star Wars films. But really, even if you didn't have anything beyond, you know, beyond the end of this film, it is still a great movie. It is still something that is special in and of itself. And, you know, that that's why I can come back to it again and again and again. And I've got, good Lord, I have got a VHS of the original version. I've got a v, the THX release, uh, the special edition VHS release, uh, the first DVD release. And then when they brought it out on DVD again with the additional disc of the theatrical cut. That's the ones, those are the ones I have, yeah. I bought those too. I'm telling you right now, when Amazon has a special, now that I have a Blu-ray player, I'll be picking this up on Blu-ray as well, just because, <laughs> because there's obsession. See, yeah, is what I'm uh, yeah, no, yeah. This is this franchise has got to probably be the record for the most. They, they call it double dipping in the industry, mm-hmm. but this is well, like like quintuple dipping. Yeah. I mean, it's not double. Double does not does not even probably qualify for it. Yeah, no. I mean, he, you know, there was the original VHS release. I have the second VHS release. There was a laser disc release. That's right. I had those too back when. You I, had the. Did you have a player? I did. I were when I worked at a video store, uh, and it was pre DVD. Laser disc was sort of like the cineast's alternative, and I love the the fact that they were like albums. So you got yes. really beautiful album art. So yeah, I actually had the trilogy on on laser disc. I mean, it was ridiculous having to flip sides and stuff, but. I didn't. I, I did. Uh, I did own them. So yeah, I had Star Wars multiple formats. And like you said, when it comes out on Blu-ray, when they put out the non-special editions on Blu-ray, I will buy those in a heartbeat. I will <laughs> not even for a moment uh, hesitate. Um, is there a? Do you have? Uh, there's two things I wanted to ask you. You you mentioned this just a second ago, but like, do you have a favorite film of the trilogy? Like in terms of not one you think is the best, but your favorite? My favorite is Empire. Okay. Uh, and it also happens to be what I think is the best of the films. But my favorite is Empire uh, because it is another perfect movie. Um, 
it is, I'm not trying to take, it's, it's hard to talk about, you know, what are my favorites because it's almost like a given that the original has to be on the list and it has to be high on the list. It's almost like I want to take it off the list completely <laughs> and just talk about the other ones right. because this trans, this is transcendent. You know, this is the one that establishes everything else. So, but, uh, empire is my favorite, uh, uh, just because I think it has everything in it uh, from this universe that I want to see. Yeah. So. Yeah, I would argue that our Empire is a better film, but I still put Star Wars on a list of, like, the ten greatest American films ever made. I, I never say ten greatest of all time or across the world because my knowledge of foreign film is just not sufficient enough to make any sort of conclusion. But yeah. But I would... I would absolutely put it on the 10 greatest American films ever made without a hesitation. And in the, even though I think it's a quote unquote inferior film to empire, it's, it was the first and it sets the tone, it sets the world and it just takes you on that ride. And it, and in terms of its cultural impact and the fact that it still holds up so well, uh, despite what George Lucas might think it holds up perfectly. Uh, yeah, I would, I would put it on that list. And the only, I was trying to explain, many, many years ago, I was explaining to someone who was a massive Star Wars fan uh, who didn't have a great knowledge of, of sort of film history, and we were talking about Star Wars, and she assumed that Star Wars had won Best Picture, the Best Picture Oscar, because it was Star Wars. Of course it did. And I said, no, actually, it didn't. It lost. She's like, what did it lose to? I said, it lost that to Woody Allen's Annie Hall, and she'd never seen Annie Hall, and she kind of looked puzzled, and I said, well... I said Annie Hall is a masterpiece as well. I said the only way I can suggest how much of a masterpiece it is is that I'm not all that upset that it beat Star Wars for Best Picture. In any other case, I would be. In any other film, I'd be like, no, 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 Star Wars needed to win. But Annie Hall, okay, I'll get you know, I'll give that a, a push. But yeah, I mean, it really is one of the great cinematic achievements of all time. And uh, you know, I mean, that's why so many people are so obsessed with. You know, the new chapter, which is just a couple of weeks away. It's just, it, it's one of the grand cultural movements of all time. Um, and it just, like I said, that's why we're here talking about it. Before we sign off, I did want to ask you one other thing, though. Do you have a particular favorite character of the trilogy? It could be not just Star Wars, any of the movies? Darth Vader. Darth Vader will always be my favorite. Interesting. Um, it's, I, I, I feel bad about this, like, continuously. But... Uh, <laughs> G.I. Joe and Star Wars have something in common with me in that the things that I'm drawn to visually are the iconography of the bad guys, uh, because apparently I'm into fascism. Okay. <laughs> hey, they nope. had some snazzy duds. The Nazis had some snazzy duds. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but, you know, it's just when I, when I, when I look at the, like the vehicles, my favorite vehicles are outside of the Falcon are always usually Imperial. I love the TIE fighters and the, and the, uh, the Imperial shuttle and stuff like that. Uh, but Darth Vader, because he is the bad guy, because he, you know, if, if the silliest reason I give is because he has a cape. Um, but that's like that's how you start the conversation, and then you get into the layering of the character. But but Darth Vader, he is the most visually interesting to me, even though he's like almost solid black. I'm still fascinated by him as a character and, and the way he looks and the fact that he's got a little skirt and he's got the Bushido helmet and he's got the, you know, the light bright set up on his chest, <laughs> but he's the, he's the driving force of all of no the pun, movies. No pun intended. Yeah. No pun intended, but you know, he is, 
you know, he is the bad guy of this film, even though Tarkin is in, is in charge. He's the enforcer. He's the one, you know, when that one Imperial officer starts mouthing off to him, you know, of all the things George Lucas has ever done to change these movies, the one thing I would have done is in the scene where he, where what's his name starts. I, I, I am bad at remembering this dude's name. I think it's Admiral Motti. Yeah. When Motti starts mouthing off to him, (laughs) I want, like him to CGI, like behind Mahdi, someone like getting papers in order very fast because <laughs> they're about to leave. And then when it cuts back to Vader, having some dude behind Vader, like giving the, you know, like, you know, running his hand, like his neck, like, shut up. It's nay on the horse pay. <laughs> but, you know, he's the one that everyone responds to. And he's the one that kills Ben Kenobi. Well, he's the one that, you know, suicide by Vader, I guess you could say. <laughs> Because uh, he kind of lets himself die. And, you know, he's the one going after Luke at the end. And then in the next film, it's like, you know, Empire Strikes Back should have been episode five, how Vader got his groove back. Um, because he's dropping officers right and left. I mean, I'd you know, I definitely want to be middle management in the Empire. Uh, because getting up there, man, the, your retirement package is death. Yeah, no, I, yeah, would, yeah, would you come in? Would you like a promotion? No, no, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm fine just sitting here at the, at the, at the desk manning the, the phasers or whatever I'm doing. I, I don't know. I really, I'm fine where I am. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm vested. My 401k is doing quite well, so. Yeah, it's, it's it's yeah. It's funny when you go back and watch that scene, the Abramati scene. You just want to tell that guy, shut up. Stop! What is the matter with you? You know, and the fact that the fact that uh, Tarkin gets to talk to him so sort of release him immediately, and he's like, "Wow, Tarkin really has a hold on." That is, I know there's a book out about Tarkin. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know whether that covers. I actually would. I'm not a big fan of like finding out the prehistory of Star Wars because I just feel like it just doesn't live up to what your mind can imagine. But I would kind of like to see what is. Why is Tarkin so in charge? Like, what is his relationship? He At one point in Star Wars, he calls Vader old friend. I'm mm-hmm. like, who's making friends with Darth Vader? Is, you know, who does that? Are you crazy? <laughs> like... the, uh, the, the expanded universe stuff uh, is, not, is not a well I have gone to very often because very quickly it could get all-consuming. I respect those that can tell me the difference between the Ballantine and the Del Rey books. Yeah. Uh, or the fact that there was a different publisher for them because, you know, for the longest time I was like, oh, there's Star Wars books out. Um, I, I saw it at Walmart, so I picked up the Tarkin book. I have not read it yet. But uh, I, I, I'm kind of... The funny thing is, is that the things that I'm interested in usually ha- revolve around the Empire. Like, I'm, I'm kind of interested. <laughs> We're learning something about you here, Mike. <laughs> well, when when the totalitarian state uh, takes over, I want to be prepared. The um, made the trains run on time. <laughs> but no, I, I'm just, when you think about it, because, you know, it's a civil war, so obviously there is, a, there is an oppressive government in place. How did that get set up? How does that run in a galaxy? Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you look in, you know, in the past hundred years when those states have come about, they don't, they last a long time human history wise, you know, like human lifetime wise, but in the, in the vastness of human history, the USSR is, you know, is, is like, a, is like a couple minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, 
you think of how do and, and you think that you know Stalin had to kill a bunch of people to keep control of that. So how do you do that across a galaxy? Yeah, you know, how do you keep you know? It's, how do you keep your control of your territories and all that? And that was the kind of thing about Tatooine. You know, Luke described it, you know, if there's a, a bright center to the universe, you're on the planet farthest from. So right there you get the sense that this is kind of outside of the Imperial watch. Yes. But when they show up, everybody knows who they are. Yep. So, but let, let, let me ask, a, this is something that I've never had answered for me, but it's always something that's kind of weird. When Luke says he's going to the Academy mm-hmm. or wants to go to the Academy, I doubt there's a rebel Academy. No. You know, I know that Biggs, uh, who's in the deleted scenes, right. Uh, and was in the comic book. Right. Uh, I know that he jumped ship. Basically. That was his plan. We're going to, we're going to, as soon as we get to a friendly place, we're going to jump ship and go join the, the uh, the Empire. So Luke's big plan was to go join the Empire before he gets up, you know, involved with Princess Leia. That's weird to me. Yeah. I don't know if that's weird to you or if you've ever really put any thought into well, that. Well, I always assume that because, and you know, again, this is this is from decades now. God, decades of backstory. <laughs> I was about to say years, but it's been decades, decades of of backstory and reading things that I always assumed that. If you join the academy, which is basically Empire Training School, it there is a a, a strain of 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 that that is underground re- re- rebels, mm-hmm. and Luke is using that to get off Tatooine and basically you know kick off the dust kick the dust off the shoes of his stupid little town and get out of there and then jump ship. So he's going to do what Biggs is doing. So he wants to join the Empire in the idea of it'll get me off of this rock and then I can go join the rebellion. But in the meantime, I have to pretend to be like that. I'm interested in joining the empire. That's how I took it. Cause he mentions, you know, it's not, it's not that I like the, the empire. I hate it. Uh, yeah. you know, so he's not, he's not one of those guys. He's just sort of like, he's kind of indifferent to the battle and he maybe, you know, well, he probably doesn't even really understand what the rebellion is necessarily, but it sounds better than the empire, but he's, he's, he's just kind of, wishy-washy about it and it's only until he gets sucked into the battle again through the lies of ben kenobi that he <laughs> gets into the battle and there are a lot of lies it's... i mean that he is lie he is lied to constantly from ben kenobi when you after you've seen jedi you're like boy ben is just bsing him up and down here this is this is terrible and then after you see the prequels you realize what a what a bastard r2d2 that too man jeez yeah I mean, c3po at least had his memory wiped yeah excuse <laughs> because 3po was gonna talk yes you know you 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 don't you don't rob a bank with 3po no, r2d2 yeah. is the guy that's got all the secrets yep. so and it's actually kind of funny re-watching the film after realizing that it puts a whole new spin on when r2 when ben spots r2 and he says hello there mm-hmm. Now the hello there is recognition. Like, yeah. oh, it's it's you. Okay, things are afoot. We're going to pretend we don't know each other for the sake of this farm boy. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's – oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. And, and, and I, I got nothing actually. I thought I had a thought and it 
drifted away like uh, so much garbage. <laughs> like sand gets in everything. Uh, <laughs> so I think that's a good place to stop because it's Star Wars and we could just go on forever and we don't need to do a 19-hour episode of the Film of Water podcast. So... Uh, yeah, it's Star Wars. Everybody knows it. Everybody loves it. And like I said, I you know we I had an enormous amount of fun talking with you about it. Like, there's just even after I'm babbling for however we've been talking in 45 minutes, there's just so much more I could, you know. Again, the Cantina aliens, the trench fight, the the Dianoga. I mean, you know, everything. You know, Luke being interested in what turns out to be his sister. The you know all the graphics of the Death Star trench are like emblazoned in my memory because I played the Star Wars Death Death Star game. You know, mm-hmm. in the arcade, ad infinitum. Uh, I mean, I just played every single. I had every toy imaginable. It just became such a giant part of my life. And I said, "That's you know, what an amazing thing for." I know that George Lucas has a lot of downsides to creating Star Wars. You know, he's he's had a lot of bad things. But I mean, just I can't imagine what that feels like to have created something whole cloth out of your head that means so much to so many people. That is just got to be. It's just got to be amazing. And that all the people that worked on it went on to do bigger and better oh. things. John Dykstra. Yep. I mean, think about it this way. The guy that directed Captain America, the first Avenger, worked on Star right. Wars. Oh, yeah. Oh, the team. Yeah, that's something else that we should probably even devote a whole other show to at some point is the team of people he had are really was like the all-star squadron before they were the all, you know, like it was like, you look at those names and you're like, these people all went on to huge careers and, and, and he had them all when they were 19, you yeah. know, and working for nothing in a, in a blazing hot warehouse in like Van Nuys, California, creating these little <laughs> like puppets. Like a bad part of town. In a bad part of town, creating these little puppets and blowing up things, you know, uh, it's just remarkable. So, um, anything else you want to say about Star Wars before we sign off, Mike? Uh, I love it. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I I think I've been saying that for like two like it seems like two hours, but it's only been about forty five <laughs> minutes. But no, it's just it's just it is one of the greatest films ever made, uh, and it will constant. And it, and I don't think I don't think there is anything that is going to come along that will top it. It no. might be as big of it as as it became, but I don't think there's any cultural phenomenon we can have that will exceed what star wars did as a property yeah yeah there's just no room in the culture anymore for something of that catastrophic not catastrophic it sounds bad that impactful there just isn't it just it was the time it was the right place the right film at the right time and uh Mm -hmm. you know nobody can ever replicate that as much as uh, other studios have tried you just can't do it so uh well mike thank you so much for coming on the show where can people find you on the internet it might be easier to ask where people can't find you it might be a shorter <laughs> list but where can people find you on the internet well if you want to hear more of me yammering on about star wars head on over to views from the uh, all through december i have a series of episodes called views from a galaxy far far away which is kind of an expansion on the episode andy leyland and i did last year uh where we spent like three hours talking about star wars uh, I know that's shocking me having a show go that long. But um, now I've got Scott Gardner and I've got Scott Rifen and Steve Glosson and Tom Paneris and, and Andy's coming on. And I'm, you know, if, if I can, if the wife is interested after we see The Force Awakens, we may do what we did for The Avengers Age of Ultron. Oh, that'd be great. Uh, but I'm basically talking about my favorite films, my favorite characters. There's a Christmas episode that I'm calling a Christmas episode, but really it's an excuse to talk about the toys. Uh, and Steve Glosson and I have probably 
the point of the the episode was to talk about how we were when all the you know like leading up to the films we saw, uh, but it turned into like something very special. I think of two people talking about Star Wars. So uh, you can you can find that at viewsfromthelongbox dot com. You can also find me at fortressofbailytude dot com, uh, where I am one of the uh, Justice League of bloggers. Uh, very <laughs> proud to be on that team. Um, I don't have any cool like you know, like awards that I give out, like the Aquaman Shrine. But uh, <laughs> but there you can find my thoughts on Superman as well as From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast where me and Jeffrey Taylor talk about the post-crisis Superman. And head on over to Two True Freaks. Uh, I haven't done anything over there in a very long time, but I'm on shows like Back to the Bins and Tales of the JSA. And Tales of the JSA presents Crisis on Infinite Earths because we are trying to break iTunes in their <laughs> titles. So they're going to step in at some point, Mike. And <laughs> come on, Mike. Uh, yeah, excellent. That's excellent. To all that stuff, I'm looking forward to hearing the Star Wars stuff. Um, as always, for us, if you want to send the show an email, it's Firewater podcast at comcast.net please follow our twitter feed which is Fullman water pod on twitter we love having the i don't know why i keep saying we it's just me having discussions all about movies and stuff on the twitter feed that's always a lot of fun so please follow that and again thanks everybody for listening mike thank you for coming on i really appreciate it i had a lot of fun no, it was a it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Awesome, and it said uh, again. Thanks for listening, everybody. We look forward to next week's episode, where we'll of course be talking about the Empire Strikes Back. In the meantime, may the Force be with you, and also with you. Star Wars figures, R two D two, Chewbacca, Luke, and Princess Leia. They're the Star Wars early bird set of figures. These action figures are not yet available, but this Star Wars Early Bird Certificate Package is in stores. With this colorful Star Wars picture display stand and certificate to send in to get a set of figures by mail. They'll be sent to you at home between February 1st and June 1st. The Star Wars Early Bird Certificate Package, new from Kenner.